Tammy McCarthy. Hi, I'm Donica Meyer. And we are your hosts of the Nurse Life Podcast. Our speaker today is Dr. Ernest Grant. Dr. Grant is an influential, inspiring leader from our community and currently serves as the president of the American Nurses Association. Dr. Grant has more than 30 years of nursing experience, is an internationally recognized burn care and fire safety expert, and was recognized by President George W. Bush in 2002 with the Nurse of the Year Award for his work treating burn victims from the World Trade Center site. He is a celebrated clinician and educator, and while he is widely recognized as the first male president of the ANA in its 122-year history, we are most grateful for Dr. Grant's enthusiasm and vocal willingness to engage nurses of a new generation, to become involved in policy, to make their presence known, and to participate in the change we need in the nursing profession. In recent days, Dr. Grant has been influential in leading the ANA in addressing racism, brutality, and violence against Black communities, noting the important role that nurses play in helping to change this culture. It's important that we as nurses engage in these conversations and be leaders in this realm. Dr. Grant, we are so thrilled to have you to have a conversation with, with us today. Well, thank you, Amy and Danica. I'm delighted to be here. Awesome. <laughs> so we'll get started. So our first question for you is, in your own words, would you be willing to share your lived experience as a medical professional and as a member of the Black community? Sure. For your audience, I live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and for 36 years worked at the University of North Carolina hospitals and with the university system uh, in between the hospital, the School of Nursing, School of Public Health, and et cetera. And my background, as was mentioned, is fire and burns. So we would get uh, patients from all walks of life, all economic strata of life, who unfortunately suffered either a devastating burn injury or we would uh, also treat some patients who had rare skin disorders as well. But I think, you know, for the most part, I would say that my career there went by with little or no discrimination, if you will. But occasionally you would get someone because we, you know, as I said, we get people from all over the state. And uh, there would people would be uh, individuals who would say, I, you know, I don't want uh, either a black person caring for me or a person from this ethnicity, you know, because I viewed our um, the, uh, the the team there, we were like a little mini miniature United Nations. You know, <laughs> sure. we, had, we had people from all all different cultures. Yeah, and when that would happen, we would uh, you know would have to uh, I don't know how to put it nicely other than to say have a little come to Jesus meeting sometimes <laughs> with, with the patients or their families and say you know well one when you sign that permit for treatment we don't discriminate here. You know we cannot guarantee that only you know, people from a certain culture or only white people will be you know, able to uh, to care for you. We don't see that here. And of course, when you stop and think that well over probably 80% of the staff there was, you know, was minority anyway. So uh, it would be, uh, you, know, you know, and most of the time, you know, the, the people would succumb. And if not, then say, well, you know, uh, I'm sorry, but there's another burn center that's 68 miles up the road, and you're welcome to try to transfer you there if you'd like to go. But you should also know that you know 80% of their staff is minority. As well. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, I, I sort of put a little 
fun on it, I guess. But I think for the most part, it is a matter of letting people know that as healthcare providers, we treat everyone. We don't, uh, you know, discriminate and et cetera. And we, we advocate for everyone and that the, uh, you know, they're going to get the best care possible, whether or not, you know, you are aware that they may be hiding feelings or whatever against you or because of who you are or who they perceive you to be. Your job is to still provide the best care that you can for that individual. So that's some examples of, I guess you could say, discrimination and or racism, but then also, you know, from an administrative perspective as well. And I, I guess I shouldn't, shouldn't have used the word administrative, but by that I meant, well, you know, what I meant was I applied for a couple of promotions and did not get them, even though I was very well qualified. I think in the end, I got the best deal because of my final position there for a number of years was that I was the uh, director of the outreach and prevention program, which I loved. I mean, it was, you know, it was really was cut for me, but, you know, but I applied for like a, you know, assistant nurse manager position or the director for surgery services, you know, when those positions came open and when asked or when informed, you know, I'm sorry, you, you didn't get it or, or whatever, then I would ask, well, why not? You know, what were, you know, some of the, the deficiencies that I had so that the next time, you know, a position came open and I felt that I'd like to apply for it, I'd like to be able to work towards those, you know, those deficiencies. And sometimes you would get the, uh, you know, the, the runaround, yes. uh, but you know, <laughs> uh, you know, we all have probably experienced that. Yes. <laughs> but uh, you know, the, the main thing is to persevere. That's one of the things that in my journey of nursing and as a, a leader, uh, I think it's important to, you know, if you really truly de- desire something, then you persevere and you knock down all of those obstacles and uh, keep your eye on the prize. Yeah, and I will say, you know, um, we took some time to really read a lot of articles out there that had mentioned you or had interviewed, and I thought it was so meaningful that when you talked about men in nursing, especially, I think that representation in nursing leadership and executive roles like that is very important. And I think even for Amy and I, we, we are obviously minority nurses as well. So you know, I think it's, re- it's really important for, for people like us and younger nurses to see ourselves represented in those leadership roles. And it's incredible for us to have you as an example for that. Because I will say, you know, in my lived experience as a Filipino nurse, most of the nurses I knew growing up were men. I think that's just so neat. So to see somebody who is in your position and your role and a, as the main representative for nurses right now, I feel like I am um, having like a celebrity moment right now. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I really are. I feel like I'm fangirling a little bit. <laughs> well, <laughs> for sharing with us, we really do appreciate um, oh, your thank you. and sharing your experiences. With our next question, you know, in our experience, while there are exceptions, of course, most nurses exercise neutrality and on a lot of conversations that are uncomfortable or require a stance. So what has been your experience with this, if you're willing to share? I think in my earlier career as a nurse, I probably did that. And then as I've changed and begun to push the envelope, uh, part of that comes with experience and with time and, you know, how having confidence in yourself to stand up and say, this isn't right, or, you know, whatever the, the situation may be. It could be a, you know, a discriminatory, you know, situation, or it could be an advocate 
advocacy situation where you're advocating on behalf of your patient or their family or, you know, whatever, to really challenge people. And one of the things that I, I learned also, I don't know if you've heard me say before, but, and, you know, from other interviews that you may have listened to, but I'm, I'm six foot six, uh, yes. so I can be a very imposing <laughs> individual, <laughs> even though I'm, I am a gentle giant. Uh, and I'm not saying that, that I use fear as, as a tactic, but it does, you know, sometimes you, you begin to gather all those tools and things that, you know, that are in your war chest that you know that you can use. For some people, it could be that a really quiet voice. For other people, it would be a very loud and boisterous voice. Or for other people, it would just be, you know, let's just have this conversation here that, you know, it seems that, you know, you're treating this person differently from here, you know, whereas in the past, we have done this. Or it could just be just starting a conversation like, has there been a policy change or protocol change that I'm not familiar with? And they may say, what? Well, well, you know, what are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about the fact that in the past, you know, everyone has already gotten this, this, or this, or this is the way we've done things, no matter, you know, who or what. And now all of a sudden, it seems we're not uh, addressing the same needs uh, that two people may have. One person, you know, may be a little bit different or, or vastly different even. Um, and granted, we know that we try to individualize care, but is it individualized along the same patterns, if you will, or is there like a total deviation? And if so, you know, let's, let's have that conversation. Is there a reason for that total deviation? It may be that is what's working for that particular patient at that particular time. But if it's just because of the whim of the team, perhaps, or the, you know, the physician or, or whatever else, then we need to have a discussion. Is there a change in protocol now? Oh, for sure. I like what you have to say about confidence. And I think that's something that you do work on throughout your entire career. And the more confident you get, the braver you get to sit in front of conversations. And, Mm -hmm. you know, both both Donica and I, when we talk to newer nurses, certainly through TNA, that's one of the things that that I try to advocate for is to have that sense of braveness to be able to speak up. And I think that we're really good about doing that with our patients, but we also need to do that with our profession. And I just have to say, you know, both Donica and I really admire, and I think a a lot of nurses very much appreciate the fact that you um, have stood up and talked about racial inequality because I think a lot of times we tried to stay away from that and mm-hmm. be very neutral because we wanted mm-hmm. to appeal to all nurses. But I think that there is a lot to be said for not saying anything. And yeah. so the fact that we, we did stand up and say something, uh, you know, I, I thought was, was incredible. I would uh, think of it this way. What if that was your family member? You know, how would you feel, mm-hmm. you know, if no one advocated on your behalf or you saw your family member being treated differently or, you know, whatever else, then, you know, that's the uh, the view that I think we should all take it from. And it could just be just sitting down and having that conversation. Things can be resolved just like that. Absolutely. You, know, you can get the explanation. Well, we're doing this because of this, this, and this, or it could be because of, you know, something else going on with the patient that, you know, maybe we're not seeing, but, you know, uh, but it still doesn't hurt to, you know, to call it out. And if we're going to be really professional about it, you should be thanked for, you know, I thank you for pointing that out and for keeping us honest and keeping us on track and making yeah. sure that we are meeting those needs of everyone. For sure. Absolutely. Well, our next question is, many of us do not get training in cultural competency and ethics in nursing. Do you feel like the given curricular training is enough? And if not, do you have any recommendations for enhancing culturally competent and diverse care? I would say no, it's not. The main reason is that the book is not the lived experience. I mean, you know, what you read about is perhaps maybe some 
sanitized version, if you will, <laughs> of how we expect a culture or an individual to act or whatever. But my recommendation is that as nurses, we need to ask questions. You know, and I'll, I'll give you an example. If I just automatically assume that every African-American male that I took care of fit this particular description or whatever else, then I could be going down so many different paths. What if that person was say, maybe from another religion that I didn't know. You couldn't necessarily tell by the way the, you know, the person dressed or whatever. And unless you ask those questions, then the textbook uh, ideology that I should have of this, you know, this African-American man is that, okay, well, chances are he may that, I don't know, live in a certain area of town. He may have finished, you know, high school, but maybe some or no college at all, or maybe a college graduate, maybe work at a, um, you know, well, now what is it termed an essential job, <laughs> you know, as opposed to, you know, to, uh, you know, something else. But by asking questions, I suddenly find out that, uh, you know, this guy could be a very highly religious individual who doesn't eat pork, who doesn't smoke, who doesn't drink, uh, you know, actually lives in a very nice part of town and, you know, and et cetera. Uh, so you see uh, that it's good that we, we ask questions so that then we can turn around and be the best advocates when we know what our patients' needs are. And by asking questions, I could say, how best, based on your religious culture or, or whatever, how best can I help you or advocate for you when the team comes around? What is your understanding of healthcare, or how do you embrace healthcare, or do you understand these two-dollar words <laughs> that are being thrown at you, or do I need to break them down to you know maybe a fifty-cent word? Because sometimes, for a lot of people, when we meet them in the acute care setting, this may be their first time ever being hospitalized, and they are just so overwhelmed. I remember a situation when I started my very first nursing career, I was taking care of this elderly black lady. And I remember the person from dietary walking into her room and just setting her dinner tray on the overbed table. And the lady didn't, you know, lift up the tray and, you know, start eating or anything, which you would think that we would normally do, right? And, you know, so a little bit later on, I go in there and I said, you know, I forget her name, but I was just going to say, well, Miss Williams, sir, are you not hungry? She goes, well, yes, child, I'm hungry. Said, well, your dinner's right here. Oh, is that what that is? Well, nobody told me that, you know, that that was mine. Again, this is her first hospitalization, even though she was well up into her 70s or 80s, you know, but nobody uh, told her that, okay, when you're hurting, you know, press this button and we can bring you in some pain medicine. She was, I didn't know if they fed people at Mission Hospital or not. And it's like, oh, yes, you can get anything. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. It's just pull at the heartstrings. But obviously, someone failed to educate her that, okay, yes, breakfast, lunch, and dinner is served, and you can order what you'd like. And, you know, if you're in pain, you don't have to suffer. We, you know, just press your call button and we can bringing your pain medication and things like this. But being an elderly black lady, you know, and in our culture, we think that uh, especially older African-Americans, they may feel that pain is, a, is something that you have to go through this life in order to, you know, to get to the next life and mm -hmm. not realize that, no, I don't think the good Lord wants us to suffer. <laughs> <laughs> That's the reason he, you know, he blessed man with the knowledge enough to invent pain medication to help Absolutely. relieve that.
she would be one of those individuals who would think that, oh, yes, I must suffer and, you know, and et cetera. And until you pick up on those little nuances, you know, the wincing and the, you know, the grunts and the groans and et cetera, and ask those questions, those very important questions, that's how you can help that person. And then I can pass it on to the team that, oh, well, Miss Williams, she's, you know, she doesn't really like to ask for pain meds, but you need to go in and really observe her and, or either ask her, are you in pain and et cetera, as opposed to, you know, allowing her to just sit there and suffer. So, yeah, sorry, long answer, but, uh, but no, I, I hope it, it draws a pretty good picture for you. Yeah, I definitely think, you know, our clinical interviewing skills, especially in those acute care settings, they can be pushed aside pretty quickly and having those conversations is taken for granted for sure in those areas where you feel like you have to just start delivering care where, you know, that orientation to the healthcare environment could really impact how you individualize those specific moments for those patients like that. So we really appreciate your insight on that. What steps can we take now actively participating in the Black Lives Matter movement? Well, there's, there's several different uh, things that I, I think we as nurses can do. The first thing, you know, obviously, if you choose to protest, then, uh, then by all means do so. But by all means, please be careful. Uh, you know, set the example. You know, wear the mask. <laughs> you know, things of this sort. Make sure you're practicing safe distancing and, you know, et cetera. That's, that's one thing. Another is, you know, some nurses may feel that, uh, okay, I'm too old to be out there walking or whatever, but I still want to do my part. You know, we're hearing stories every day of, nurses who are setting up first aid shelters for protesters, offering them water, or setting up some antidotes for when, you know, God forbid, but if rubber bullets are fired or tear gas or something like that, uh, something to flush their, you know, their eyes out with. Um, And having on, you know, the proper identification so that if the uh, police or authorities come through and they start pushing people out, that they would recognize, hey, that's a nurse we, you know, that's someone that's just standing on the sideline offering help. You know, we don't want to injure uh, those individuals. The other thing I think is to, you know, as I've stated before in my statements, uh, you know, regarding this, we need to educate ourselves about the situation and then inform our friends and colleagues, uh, you know, about that as well. You know, correct those wrongs or those misconceptions that people may have about why this is happening or if they think of, you know, Black Lives Matter. Uh, you know, sometimes they want to say all lives matter. I, I agree, all lives do matter matter. But in this case, unless Black people have the equality that our white brothers do, then more importantly, Black lives matter. And, you know, that's the the whole idea behind the movement is that we're still, what, 151 years later, 152 years later, we're still pressing for that equality that was supposed to have been given to us when slavery was ended in 1863. You, you gain some, but then roadblocks have been put in the way, and then you gain a little bit more, and more roadblocks are put in the way, and et cetera. So that's one thing. And then I think the most powerful thing is to vote. And you probably have heard me say that as well. Yes. This year... <laughs> especially by all means, and not only just vote because of it's a national election, where it really counts is locally, where you Absolutely. choose your city council, you choose your mayor, you choose your district attorney or your prosecutor and et cetera. You know, so you need to educate yourself as to of those candidates who are running, 
you know, who best identifies with my ideology or who best, you know, maybe has a proven track record when it comes to equality and anti-discrimination and, you know, things of that sort. Those are the, uh, you know, some of the things that nurses can do to help support this movement. And one of the things that I, I truly hope that people will do, and we still got, what, four months, five months between now and November. So I, I, I do hope that people will feel the same way they're feeling now in November. And that they, you know, they won't forget, you know, how they, uh, they felt. I, I don't know what, you know, the waning months between now and uh, the first Tuesday in November may be, but, but I truly hope that uh, people, even if they have stopped protesting and things of the sort, I truly hope that they will remember how they felt and, and vote for change. Send a message and, and vote for change. We 100% agree. 100%. <laughs> All right, let's go. <laughs> we are definitely trying to inspire that in Texas. <laughs> we are, rest assured. <laughs> you know, part of Amy's and I's uh, initiative is to hopefully attach some resources too, because we have also had lots of ongoing dialogue just personally between the two of us about books that we're reading, accounts that we're following, and just some of the things that we're learning, even at voting in general, because mm-hmm. I think that's something I will openly admit prior to all of this happening i never ever voted in my local elections and i'm seeing now no it's so it's horrible but i'm gonna say you know this is incredibly important for me now to educate myself how precious that uh, you know that's the one (laughs) bit of strength that we have as an individual not just as a nurse but but as a citizen of the united states that's the one precious bit of power that you have and i would strongly encourage you know as you get that message out there that you truly get people to understand also what uh, you know as you said what are the particulars behind voting because there's been so many roadblocks if you will that have been put in place yeah you got to have voter ID or you don't have to have voter ID or you can't vote at this precinct. You got, you know, they're moving things around and et cetera. So it's no wonder people get exasperated and think, oh, well, my vote's not going to count or whatever, right. but they really have to show them that no matter how many stumbling blocks you put in the way, I am determined to exercise my right as a U.S. citizen to vote. And, uh, and so if it takes that, I know some of the things like shortening the early voting period or shortening the, uh, you know, maybe canceling it on the weekend so that, you know, whereas people who feel the need that I have to work during the week and the only time that I can vote is on the weekends. Well, in some cases they're, you know, they're closing that opportunity, you know, so they need to recognize that these are some tactics that people are doing because they don't want you to vote and you've got to work around that and and show them no matter what kind of stumbling blocks you put in my way, I am going to vote. Definitely. uh, And, you know, I think that's something that we're we're learning about too now, just about how it's inconvenienced Mm -hmm. For a reason. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I I definitely think that's something that a lot of us are getting enlightened on now. And so we're hoping to take responsibility and hopefully do our part as well. So we appreciate, we appreciate the call and we're we're hopefully putting some of those things together. So Dr. Grant, we have one last question for you. You're known as someone who is a big supporter of the millennial generation, and we are very appreciative of that. So, so much of what our generation is deficient in is nursing advocacy and participating in policy-making activities. Mm-hmm. What first steps do you recommend in jumpstarting this as a lifelong activity? 
Well, when it comes to uh, policymaking activities, the, the thing I would say that, first of all, nurses need to recognize that we can use our influence to drive change. Uh, now more than ever, you know, the eyes of the nation are on this one profession in, in particularly. And as you know, we've been selected for 18 years in a row as the most trusted profession. And so, Again, it sort of goes back to that education drive as well. You know, you need to educate and realize the power that you have or the influence that you have when you say that I'm a nurse. You know, people stand up and, you know, you're instantly admired. Uh, but the other thing you need to let them know is, you know, because one of the problems we have is people respect nurses, but they really don't have any idea what it is that we do. You know, they know you work at that acute care facility down the road, but they don't know that you're in the neighborhood unless you're, it's your immediate next door neighbors and your, their kids skin their knees or something like that and they <laughs> call you for healthcare advice or whatever, but that's it. So they don't really recognize that, hey, I'm a part of this community as well. And so I need to educate myself on why isn't the, uh, you know, the city council who promised that we were going to fix this, let's say we're going to fix this water problem, and they haven't done that, then I'm going to hold that, you know, go to the city council meeting and hold them accountable. And when I identify myself as, yes, I'm a resident of Booth Road in Chapel Hill, and I'm also a nurse, and then people in the community are going to go, oh, okay, so let's get behind this person. You know, and I'm challenging you, why, you know, why aren't you doing this? Uh, so, yes, attend those local meetings, attend those town halls that you're your, you know, your local representatives, your, your members of not only your state representatives, but also your U.S. representatives, you know, your member of Congress, your, your state senator, when they uh, hold their town halls, go there, challenge them on things that, you know, you promised you were going to do this and this and this, but, you know, where is it? Where are the results? When can we expect to, you know, to have this done? And if anything, maybe volunteer to serve on some campaign committees as the healthcare expert, because for a lot of the politicians, their legislative liaison they don't have a healthcare background. The information they're getting is coming from a lobbyist who has, you know, the special interest of the particular company that hired them. Let's take it right now with the pandemic. They've relaxed a, a lot of the environmental rules and, and regulations. So now industries that were not permitted to pollute our rivers and waters they're now, you know, the government is essentially looking the other way, you know, because it's a, uh, it's an emergency, okay. then uh, they don't have to verify that, yes, we're doing the, you know, the procedures and stuff that we, uh, we should be doing. So if you serve as that healthcare expert, then you can provide them with the correct information that they need to make the correct decisions that they may be faced with and say, this is how, when you vote this way, this many people are gonna be affected in the communities or in the areas that you, you represent. Or when you vote this way, this is, uh, you know, this is gonna be the cause and effect there. You gotta open their eyes and let them really see that. And if you're not an expert on it, you know, nurses, we're very resourceful Forceful. So we, we will know somebody, we know somebody who, you know, who can serve as that, that expert as well. So that's, um, you know, I'm sorry to be so long-winded, but you're, you're getting my passion there when you talk policy. That's, I love it. That's, that's, yeah. that's perfect. 
Thank you so much for answering all of our questions today. I feel, Donna, can I uh, truly, we could talk to you forever because we just think that you're the most <laughs> inspirational person. <laughs> well, thank you so much again, Dr. Grant, for joining us today. I know that the, the nurses of Texas are really going to appreciate all this information, and we just feel so honored that you took the time to be with us today. And thank you thank for you all that much. you do every day to serve the guys. nurses across the nation. You're the best. Thank you guys. And if, if I may just uh, say one last thing, too. Yeah. To your your audience, that uh, you know how how very proud I am of them, especially those on the front line, and we will continue to advocate on their behalf uh, with members of Congress and the uh, pandemic task force and on down the line to ensure that they're getting the proper equipment. We're trying to push for hazard pay for nurses on the front line and everything else. The battle is not over, so we're we're still advocating on their behalf and you know just thank them from the bottom of my heart and tell them to continue to be strong. I hope that our listeners enjoyed this episode of our podcast as much as we did. I think just the tone that he set for it allowed us to be honest. I mean, I think we're both very honest all the time (laughs) anyway, but he just made that environment so calm and inviting. And I I expect that's just the type of nurse he is too. This was a really great opportunity for us to participate and make sure that we voiced how the Black Lives Matter movement has moved us this much to make sure that it doesn't go unnoticed. Even like he said, from now until November, we hope also that people feel the way that they do now about making change and making sure that racial equality exists for everyone. I think that's just one of our core values for nursing is making sure that everybody has the same access to care like they should. I really appreciated his perspective as a nurse, as a leader, as a, an African-American man. I think that he brought to light so many great things. People are really afraid of nursing to have controversial conversations, but I think what people need to understand is that in order to move forward, we have to have these conversations. We have to be courageous enough to bring issues like that. That's one of the things that I really admire about Dr. Grant is just his candor and how he's brought that to a national stage for nurses. Yeah, I totally agree. And I really loved his point about, you know, just confidence about speaking out and how that comes with time. Because I think our fundamental training as nurses is that we have to be non-judgmental, care for everybody. But in certain situations, when it calls for it, it is okay to take a stand on something that is really important, especially when we talk about racial inequities and how that's really a social determinant of health. And as nurses, I mean, you have to consider a lot of that. It is our responsibility to make sure that we educate ourselves and look out for those resources because they're out there. And there are Black activists and educators who are putting so much content And this was just so gracious of him to just lend us his time and his experiences and really his insight related to all of this and nursing and what our role as nurses is, you know, and what our responsibility is. 
all of us as nurses, uh, we definitely have our own room for growth, regardless of where we are in our careers or what race we are or how many years of experience we may have. We, we all have room to grow. You know, we, we always say that you're never done learning in nursing. And I think that's especially true here. But I think that it's important that nurses know we need to play a part in this conversation when it comes yeah. to voting, when it comes to educating wow. ourselves about wow. those roles, uh, you know, especially in a big election year like this year. Yeah. You know, what yeah. are these positions, both at a local and a state and national level? And what impact does that have on us as a profession right. and moving us forward? And what are our aspirations for what healthcare right. looks like? And choosing can is based on that. We have to be more educated and we have to be at the table looking at those decisions. I'm a big advocate for nurses running for positions. There are very successful nurses who are in Congress advocating for people. And I think that shouldn't be a rarity. It should be the majority. And so I, I you know, I, I look forward to that. You know, when we talk about just the kind of leader he is and the examples that he set, I mean, I make a comment in this episode about how I have not voted in a local election and he totally calls me out and I absolutely <laughs> loved it. Yeah. And, and just because, you know, I think that's so important for people to be aware that he was very kind about it, but how important it is and how if you don't participate at that local level too, you're missing out on such an important piece of, you know, really making decisions for, for nurses and people in general. I just really appreciated his candidness and his honesty, but also to push nurses in our generation to really make their mark and really participate at the level that we should be. And so um, thank you, Dr. Grant. What does matter is we educate ourselves now. Yeah. When you know better, you do better, right? Right. Oh, we were going to talk about representation. He makes that comment about not getting a certain position. We discussed with him about how important representation was in those leadership levels. When you don't have people that look like you, how are you supposed to know that that's possible? And I think for him being a male black man in the most prominent nursing position in America, I think that says to people who don't look like the majority to say, wow, I could do that same thing too. And it is possible. You just need those people who have been previously more available to those positions to give people a chance. I definitely feel like when you have more diverse experiences at those leadership levels, you cover more issues, you expand access to more patients because you're providing insight at levels that you may not have been able to give before. I loved, especially at that point where he talked about perseverance, Yeah, uh, that really had just a personal impact on me. I think that, you know, in leadership, that's so important because mm-hmm. throughout your leadership career, regardless of what specialty it is, you are going to face a lot of rejection. You know, mm-hmm. for me personally, that was a hard it still is a hard pill to swallow, right? Mm -hmm. Every single time you get rejected, regardless of what that rejection really was about. It's hard and it makes it very frustrating to, Mm -hmm. to move forward, especially when, when it could have been things that were completely out of your control. Sometimes it's that fear of rejection Mm -hmm. that people get caught up on and they don't want to move forward or they don't even want to try because of it. But we have to have yeah, we'll try, you know, and like he talks about, he was rejected from many positions, but now he's the president of the American Nurses Association, yeah. representing over 4 million nurses across the United mm-hmm. States. And that's just incredible. 
what an honor and a privilege to be in, in that role. He couldn't have done that without moving forward. And now he's, he's a role model, being a representative for what that role can look like. Thanks for listening in. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to follow us through the Texas Nurses Association Facebook page or Twitter account, or follow us at our individual Twitter accounts. You can follow me, Amy, at McCarthyRN12. And you can follow me, Donica, at Donica Meyer RN4. See you soon.